0: Welcome to A Firm Foundation, presented by Princeton Ministries, with Dr. Ken Smith. This is Carol Smith, Ken's wife. Please enjoy.
1: We have been studying the book of Philippians. Today we are in the fourth chapter, and we will be looking at verses 10 through 13. This is one of the most encouraging books in the New Testament. It is filled with words like joy and peace. It's a book of great comfort, and I think for Christians it should be a book of great encouragement. And then we would ask the question, well, who wrote this book? Where was he when he wrote it? Well, it was the Apostle Paul, who now has been in a prison for two years in Rome, without the support of the church in Rome, so that when a man comes from Philippi, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, to bring an offering, and he goes to those Christians in Rome and he asks them, where is Paul? They don't know. And it's from that context that probably the most encouraging book has been written. We look today at chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our God and our Father, we ask that you would take this, your precious word, that you would place it in our minds, that you would place it in our hearts. And Father, as it would find place there, we ask that it would find ultimately a place in our life, that we would be different because we have come face to face with you. We ask now that your spirit would speak to us by your word, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Suppose I could gather on the table in front of me faces and I display them to you and I hold up one face And it looks at you. And I ask this question, whose image is stamped on this face? Well, you may not be able to make it out. But on this face is the image of fear. And then I pick up another face. And I hold it before you. And I ask, what image do you see on this face? And on that face are the deep lines of fretting and worry. Another face, what of this one? What is it that you see? Selfishness. Another face. What's printed on the mouth line, on the eyes? What is it that you see? Lust. Then I take another face, and I say, what is it that you see on, on this face? And you say, what a face. Where did you get that face from? Because on that face, there seems to be something joyful, There seems to be, in the eyes of this face, calm. But what is it that you see on this face? The thing that I see overall is contentment. In my lifetime, I have not seen more than a dozen of that type of face. So said Henry Ward Beecher, pastor from the last century. How often do you see on the face of people what you would say is contentment? That something is communicated from that life that says everything is fine, everything's okay, don't worry about me. You can see it on my face. You can hear it in my voice. You read it in my gestures. I'm a person who is content. Paul, the writer of the book of Philippians, is at the close of his ministry. One of the last books that he will write Now, what has happened to Paul in the meantime? Well, Paul comes from a background of having been whipped on many occasions. The Apostle Paul was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. He was weary, he tells us. On many occasions, he was hungry. There were times when he did not have clothes for his back. He was cold, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 11. Now, early in his ministry, he founded the church at Philippi. But then, as his ministry would continue to expand, it has been many years since he has been back to Philippi. And in the meantime, so much has happened. He's now in prison. He lacks everything. It's believed that he was chained to a Roman guard, that the treatment of a prisoner was terrible, that in that prison he was not able to work, boredom must have been a constant problem, and yet never does he seem to be bored. He must have been cold. And if we were to look at Paul in prison, we probably would come to the conclusion, how could a man who is cold, hungry, in prison, chained to a guard, been there for a couple of years, how is it possible that on the face of such a man can be seen contentment? We read in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need." It seems that the Apostle Paul radiated contentment with his situation regardless of the circumstances. We would conclude from the circumstances that must have been a terrible life. And if we could imagine his face I don't believe that I would be looking for the quality of contentment. And yet he tells us, I've learned to be content. I am content. Now the word content means to be satisfied. I would just ask you this morning, are you content? Are you satisfied with your circumstances? Are you satisfied with where you are today? Because the word content is an important one in the Bible. Not only does Paul tell us that he has learned to be content, but let me ask you, what is the foundation for a Christian of being content? What has to occur in your life for you to come to the conclusion, I am a content person. First Timothy, chapter 6, verse 8, tells us, having food and clothing, with these we will be content. Is there anybody here who did not have a meal, who does not have any clothing, then the foundation of Christian contentment is to say, thank you, Lord, that I have food, and thank you that I am clothed. And if those two things have happened in your life, the scripture says it ought to show in your life just those two things. But I wonder how many of us are content with just those two things. A hundred years ago, it was believed that the average person in America had 70 wants. So they wanted a cow, and they wanted a house, and they wanted a blanket, and there were 70 of those types of things that people wanted. In a recent study, today in America, it has gone to over 500 wants that if you ask the average American, what is it that you want, we come not only with a list that says food and clothing, but it goes on and on and on. And it seems that the list is getting longer rather than shorter. We are told having food and clothing with these We shall be content. You know, our forefathers many times were contented people, and yet at the same time if you think about their life, did you know that sugar was not available to be eaten until the 13th century, that our forefathers did without coal as a source of fire? until the 14th century. It wasn't until the 15th century that there was battered bread. It wasn't until the 16th century that people were able to eat potatoes. It wasn't until the 18th century that they enjoyed pudding. It wasn't until the 19th century that there was electricity. And now here we are in the 20th century with McDonald's. Now, what is it that you and I are complaining about? How would you like to live your day without electricity, without potatoes, without coffee, without tea, without sugar? And Yet there was a time when those items didn't exist, and people were quite content. The problem is we have been exposed to so much that we think we need more in order to be happy, in order to be content. J. Paul Getty, late in his life, was asked how much he was worth and what his retirement was going to be like. He said, well, I'm worth several billion dollars, uh, and I should be able to have that for my retirement. And they said, well, that should be more than sufficient. And he said, well, you know, a billion dollars doesn't go that far these days. (laughs) But let me ask you, what was it that you thought you needed ten years ago? And you thought to yourself, if I could have this one thing, I'll be content. If I get that promotion, I am going to be so contented. When I get that education, I will be the most contented and happy person. Well, the ten years have passed. Are you any more contented? Or did you simply add to your list? So that you will really be contented in about six months... Or maybe six years. Well, the Apostle Paul gives us some instruction on godly contentment. First, he tells us that not that I speak in regard to need. Verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. Now, what is he talking about? He's in prison. He has physical needs. Paul, are you cold? Yes. Don't you need a blanket? Yeah. Paul, aren't you hungry? Don't you need some food? Yeah. But Paul, you say you're content. I don't get it. He says, I'm not talking about these needs. That's not what I'm talking about. I am content and it has nothing to do with my physical circumstances. Now, how is it with you? Are you content when things are going well? And discontent when they are not going well? You know, we're living in an age where contentment has become a great problem. I remember when I was married and uh, Carol and I began to think, well, where are we going to live? There I was out in the plains of Texas. And so where did we live? We lived in a little mobile home at the end of a dusty road where there was all kinds of noise coming out of all these trailers. It was quite a beginning. One thing I learned was an appreciation for country music. Some people would uh, say that wasn't uh, a great accomplishment, but it was for me. I was talking to a lawyer who is handling many of the new homes that are being bought in our area. I said, who's buying these homes? $200,000, $300,000 homes. He said they're being bought by young couples who are both professional and they want to start in their dream house. Well, I'm not in my dream house yet, let alone starting there. And yet we have this idea that when we get to our dream house, then we'll be contented. The Apostle Paul says it's not in circumstances that our contentment is to be found. Secondly, he tells us in verse 11, I have learned. Well, what is it that he's learned? He has learned how to be content. Well, now, how does a person go about learning to be content? I would suggest five simple principles for Christians. One is that we become content when we begin to live our lives in faith. And so for the Christian, his life is focused on experiencing faith. How can I continue to grow as a Christian? Is that something that's high on your priorities? It takes time. It has to do with worship. It has to do with prayer. It has to do with service. If that is not high on your list of wanting to see the Lord increase faith in your life, then if I were a betting man, I would bet that contentment is not part of your face. Another suggestion on how we might learn to be contented is to keep a clear conscience that when we would sin against the Lord or against a neighbor, that we would be very quick to confess, and then we would be very quick not to repeat those offenses. Another way that we learn to be content is to learn to deny ourselves rather than to continually indulge ourselves. Fourthly, how often do you think about heaven? How often do you think about that dream house in heaven? How often does it occur to you that there is an eternity coming which Jesus Christ said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, would I have told you? That there is a far greater home than any that we can construct in this life. And fifth, that you would begin to believe that the circumstances of your life today are perfect and good and that your Father is working all of these things for your good. Rather than to look at the circumstances around you and to fight against them, to see those circumstances and to thank the Lord and that that thankfulness will take us to the next step in faith. Well, Paul tells us not only are we to give thanks, not only are we to be content, but the way to be content is that we would be content in all things. I've noticed that contentment usually comes in little pieces. So a mother is content when she's holding her baby. Or a husband is content when things are going well with work or a young couple are content in their new marriage. But I would ask the question, where are the people who are able to say, wherever you place me, whatever the circumstances, I'll be content. Where are the people who can say, give me a child and I'll be content. But if you take that child away, I'll also be content. Where are the people who are able to say, give me a husband, a wife. I'm content. But take away my husband, my wife. I'm content. See the Apostle Paul says he was content in all situations. Paul could say, I have learned that in whatever state I am to be content. It's been said that murmuring is nothing else but the scum which boils off from a discontented heart. So often the things that we say that are foul, if we were to go deep inside we would find discontentment It comes out of our lips. Well, a contented spirit is a cheerful spirit. A contented spirit is a thankful spirit. A contented person is one who is able to give thanks for all circumstances, whatever they might be. This week, it seemed I lived in a world of contrasts. I was sitting in a restaurant, noticed this middle-aged couple. Waitress brought a sandwich, placed it in front of the lady, and I overheard her very loudly say, this isn't pumpernickel, this is rye. And I thought that was the end of it. And then she continued to talk. She said, I'm not going to eat this sandwich. I wanted pumpernickel, not rye. Husband said, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Uh, Rye's fine. No. So she called the waitress. She said, I asked for pumpernickel, not rye. The waitress says, oh, I'm so sorry. We don't have any pumpernickel. So she held herself back and waited a few minutes. And then she opened the sandwich. And she said, this doesn't have blue cheese dressing. I asked for blue cheese dressing. Her husband said, it'll be all right. My sandwich is fine. She called the waitress over. I wanted blue tree cheese dressing. The waitress said, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll put some on. She came back very quickly. She opened up a canister. And she put on French dressing. And the lady went wild. (laughs) The sandwich was returned. And the husband said, my sandwich is fine. Why don't you go out in the car, and I'll meet you when I'm done. Last night, I met a man a shine boy from Newark, 6th grade education, good week he makes $125, bad week, $75. He came all the way down to Princeton to see a Christian movie. It cost him $6 to get here. As we talked, he said, you know, I love Jesus Christ and his face was contented. You see, the Apostle Paul says to us, we're all living in a world that is full of great needs. All of us have a wish list, but Paul said, I put that aside and I remember Jesus Christ. I remember Jesus Christ. I remember what he did on the cross. I remember his death. I remember the blood that would stream down from his hands. I remember his death for my sin. And that thought leaves me content. And he closes by saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Notice, through Christ, I can do all things. Paul, does that mean that you can magically make a meal appear in your prison cell? No, that's not what it means. Paul, does that mean on those cold nights when that blanket is thin and you're cold? That you're just going to be mysteriously warmed? Is that what it means? No. What does it mean, Paul? It means in Jesus Christ my spirit, my heart, my mind, my life is content. And whatever the circumstances are, I'm content in those circumstances. Sir James Simpson was a doctor in Edinburgh. He was the father of anesthesia. Some people say that anesthesia was the greatest medical discovery that ever occurred. And through its application, surgery was able to be practiced without intensive pain. A student once asked Sir James Simpson, what do you consider to be the most valuable discovery of your life? He answered, My most valuable discovery was when I discovered myself to be a sinner and I discovered Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian, and for you, contentment has to do with circumstances, let me point you in direction of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who all of the outward circumstances were horrendous, being neglected, betrayed by his friends, facing the death on the cross, and ultimately dying. And yet I believe if we could see Jesus' face on that cross, we would see a look of contentment, of contentment, knowing that he was doing the Father's will, if you're a Christian and I were asked you to come, stand in front of everyone present because I want to display your face. And then I were to ask, what is it that you see on this face? Would you be able to say, on that face, I see godly contentment? The Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we come before you as men and women who every day face various circumstances that we would admit have influenced our sense of being contented. And Father, we would come before you and say, forgive us. Help us to be restored and freshly remember godly sense of contentment. Help us, Lord, to be content in the things that Jesus Christ has done for us. Help us to be content in the circumstances that you've placed us. Help us to grow in faith. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. the same apostle paul shared with the church that jesus christ died that we might have life the apostle paul says that after the death of jesus that jesus left behind these reminders to us bread which is to remind us of the body and blood of the body of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. And the cup that is to remind us of what happened as the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for our sins. He also tells us that this table has been set for those who love Christ, who know him, and that to eat or drink in an unworthy manner is to eat or drink damnation to ourselves. And so he says to us and all who would receive from his table, let a person examine themselves. And during these next few moments, I would ask you to examine yourself, to look in your heart, in your mind, to see Jesus Christ there, to know that you're one of his. And if you say, I'm not one of his, then know that the invitation is set for you, even now in the quiet of these next few minutes, to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you of your sin. And he has promised that he will come in and he will be with you. He will forgive you of your sin. That Jesus Christ is closer than a brother. He's here even now and would invite all who know him, who love him, to come to this, his table. And as the ushers would come forward, that we together would take a moment of silence as we would examine our own hearts in preparation for the taking of this, the Lord's Supper. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you come together, eat this in remembrance of me.
0: Thank you for listening to A Firm Foundation presented by Princeton Ministries. This programming is supported by you, the listener. You may go to our website, PrincetonMinistries.org, or send your donation to Princeton Ministries, Post Office Box 2171, Princeton, New Jersey, 08543. That's Princeton Ministries, Post Office Box 2171, Princeton, New Jersey, 08543. The Lord bless you, and Dr. Smith looks forward to hearing from you. We would like to thank Roan's Web Development Company for making this webcast possible. You can find their link at the bottom of our website, PrincetonMinistries.org.